This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. You are listening to On the Daily, the Rotoviz Daily Fantasy Sports Podcast, powered by Rotoviz Radio. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the March 29th, 2019 NASCAR edition of On the Daily. I'm Matt Friedman, Matt at the Oracle of the Action Network and Rotoviz. I'm joined, as always, by Dr. Nick Giffen, a PhD in mathematics, a three time qualifier for the DraftKings NASCAR main event, and one of the best NASCAR DFS players in the world. You can follow him on Twitter at Rotodoc. Nick, how's it going? Hey, Matt, I'm doing awesome. My uh, Virginia Cavaliers are in the Elite Eight, so I can't can't be feeling much better than that. It was a, it was a struggle against Oregon, but uh, Oregon was uh, struggled really early in the year, but they've been amazing the last part of the year. So they're probably better than a 12 seed, even though they had to win their conference tournament to get in. But we're in the Elite Eight. I don't care if, it, if we won by one or if we won by 100, we're in the Elite Eight. All right, give us uh, something of an update on uh, how your uh, March Madness betting is going. So actually really good. Um, in the first round, uh, four of the eight bets hit, which actually, sorry, it was five of the eight bets because we got the uh, the Virginia Tech spread bet as well. Um, so we had five of the eight bets, or maybe it was even, no, it was six of the eight because I had two underdogs win. Uh, I don't know. It was a lot. It was, it was well over um, four of the eight bets going beyond the first round. From the se- second round to the third round to the Sweet 16, uh, that's where I got a little bit decimated. Virginia Tech did not cover the spread. Uh, all of my others lost except Auburn and Oregon because the tournament has been so chalky. And the way this betting thing goes is I'm mostly betting higher seeds, right? So they tend to be underdogs either in the first round or the second round. So the fact that I got the only two teams seeded higher than fourth, right? So the top four teams are, are technically the one through 16 teams that if everything was chalk, would make it in the Sweet 16. I got the only two teams, Auburn and Oregon, outside of uh, the top four seeds to make it to the Sweet 16. Oregon, as we mentioned, barely lost to Virginia. If that had won, uh, I would have already doubled my initial investment of $200, which is $25 on eight teams. But I still have a chance to double that with Auburn if they beat UNC today. So uh, I guess my question in all of this is that uh, it seems as if you aren't rolling it over on Virginia, like you didn't bet Virginia in the first round, right? Right, right, because the way this works is I I typically pick underdogs uh, that I think are essentially underseeded, right? So Oregon probably should have been closer to an 11 or a 10 seed uh, based off of my model and the way things uh, displayed with my model. Um, 
Auburn probably should have been a three seed according to my model. So if they faced Kansas, we figured against Kansas, they would be about even maybe a bit of an underdog, maybe a bit of a favorite. They end up being a small favorite versus Kansas, but they absolutely blew out Kansas. So like I could double my money there essentially on Auburn. And now that they're underdogs against UNC, I could triple my money there. So um, betting them in the first round to, to win, um, didn't quite double my money, but then you double that and then you triple that. And all of a sudden you've recouped your initial investment. So that's why I'm picking teams that tend to be seated, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh, 10th, 11th, 12th, et cetera. Uh, when I do this process, because picking the favorites, you can't just bet a money line. Cause if you're betting $25 on a team, that's 25, uh, or sorry, uh, minus 2,500, you're winning yeah. one buck. So, right. yeah. <laughs> so I'm not rolling it up on Virginia cause I didn't start with Virginia. So I'm just rolling it up on the teams that, that keep going. And, uh, Hey, if they all lose, then I'm out 200 bucks and I had a good time. But, uh, you know, that's, uh, every, something I do every year. And like I said, two years ago, we got Xavier to the elite eight as an, I think it was an 11 seed last year. We got Loyola, uh, I stopped betting them to the Elite Eight, and I ended up making the Final Four, but I still made a nice profit uh, with their Elite Eight. I think your dog's pretty excited about those bets, too. Yeah, it sounds like she is. Uh, what she's really wanting to know is, uh, are you betting on Virginia uh, on Saturday? Uh, I will absolutely be betting on Virginia on Saturday. So um, I think uh, Oregon actually may have been one of the tougher matchups for Virginia with their size. Oregon is a lot like Florida State, and Florida State – is one of the two teams this year that's beaten Virginia, along with Duke beating Virginia twice. Uh, and so Oregon, I think, was always going to be a tough team for us with their size, their length. But then also the way they play defense is is a really cool kind of matchup zone odd thing that Virginia hasn't really encountered a whole lot. Uh, but I think Purdue will be a little more of a straightforward opponent for us. They're, don't get me wrong, they're very good. But uh, we've beaten a lot of very good teams as well this year. So uh, I think I think we'll beat Purdue. All right, uh, let's save the rest of this conversation for the uh, Road of His College Basketball Podcast. Uh, right now, let's uh, talk about NASCAR. Uh, we have a race this weekend, as always. But this weekend, it is in Texas. Uh, the Texas Motor Speedway It is the seventh race of the 2019 season. Uh, before we talk about Texas, let's talk about last week's race at Martinsville. Uh, it was dominated by Brad Keselowski. Uh, by the way, uh, thanks last week for sending me a message telling me to bet on Kozlowski to win. Uh, that that was uh, in handy, it, it turns out. Uh, anyway, he dominated with uh, 446 uh, laps led on his way to a perfect driver rating. And, of course, the victory. Uh, you had Kozlowski at 8-1 eight, uh, eight to one to win, uh, and you were overweight on him in DFS. Uh, how did that go? And uh, any lessons we can take away from Martinsville? Yeah, so... Um... Keselowski was the first guy I singled out as the driver I wanted to bet to win after on-track activity concluded for the weekend, but before the race. Um, so, yeah, I messaged, messaged you right away and uh, was like, dude, I got Keselowski at 8-1. to one. That price is ridiculous. Um, and then I bet a few other guys who who I thought had some really nice value, um, but uh, really liked Keselowski as my absolute first pick. And so I was overweight on him in the Piston Cup, which is the super massive GPP. The problem is I didn't play any of them at the higher stakes. So while I did well at the lower stakes, um, the higher stakes crushed me. So I ended up with uh, about a negative 33% ROI, but that's okay. Um, you know, got to live and learn and make some mistakes. It's just so hard to play Keselowski when you know that 
Kyle Busch is in the running to be, a, a, you know, the top dominator. You, there's always Martin Truex. Joey Logano is on the pole. Um, Denny Hamlin's always amazing at Martinsville. So Martinsville is just one of those tracks where it's so hard. And Keselowski ended up only being like 7 or 8% owned at the high stakes. And I wish I had just played him in like one lineup. Uh, and I would have, you know, probably had a good shot at least breaking even at that point. I really wish I'd played him in a few more high stakes lineups. So the high stakes crushed me. Um, the low stakes pretty good. So that was my DFS day. As far as lessons learned from the race at Martinsville, we are now we have now gone to two short flat tracks and both of them have been snoozers. I think the larger splitter, the larger spoiler, uh, the lar- wider radiator pan, all of this, which is creating more downforce uh, as well as more drag, but it's creating more downforce through the turns, making it easier to hold the bottom and just making it so much harder to pass. The, the passing at Martinsville was far less than it's been in the past. Saw similar at Phoenix, uh, tough to pass, especially the leaders. So I think dominators get enhanced, uh, probably fewer dominators at these short flat tracks this year that we've seen than overall an average in the past. So uh, two for two so far. I know it's a small sample size, but that's the trend that I've noticed so far at the short flats. All right, let's uh, talk about Texas Motor Speedway. Uh, I believe it used to be really similar to Atlanta. Am I wrong? Yeah, so Texas, Atlanta, and Charlotte were all the same. Um, it, the only difference between them was the amount of tire wear, but all three yeah. of them have kind of aged over time. But Atlanta certainly was the oldest, and then Texas was a little closer to Atlanta in age than Charlotte. But uh, because the the track aged so much, um, what was happening is it was breaking up a little bit. There were these little holes in the track, and when it would wait, rain— Wait, wait, what are they? Weepers? Are those, yep. Is that what they're called? Boom. You got it. Yes. Look at you. So to prevent the weepers, they, they repaved the track and they figure oh, we're going to repave it. Let's reconfigure it as well. Yeah. So uh, as you mentioned, it was reconfigured, repaved in, uh, before the 2017 season. Uh, so the banking was lowered from 24 degrees to 20 degrees in turns one and two. Uh, and then those turns were widened by 20 feet. Uh, can you talk a bit uh, about how racing has played out at the new uh, Texas Motor Speedway. Yeah, so I mean, the first of all, with the track surface being not as old now, so they did a kind of a securing process to make it act like it was a five-year-old, you know, track the very first year. So now it should be acting like it's around seven or eight years old, but it's still uh, a low tire wear track, and that makes it harder to pass uh, just based off of managing your tires and things like that. So uh, lower tire wear, so. Um, it is definitely harder to pass than a track like Atlanta, where if you manage your tires later in the run, you'll definitely be faster than the guys in front of you that maybe burned out their tires a little bit more. So um, a little bit harder to pass than obviously in Texas races in the past. Also, that flattening of the banking just makes it set the speeds uh, in terms of how much the banking is helping you through that corner a little bit less. So uh, it acts a little more like a flat track in those corners, except 20 banking, 20 degrees banking is still pretty high. So uh, it, it doesn't really give an advantage to the people who are better at flat tracks, but uh, maybe just you know slightly reduces the steeper track driver's abilities there. But uh, overall, it still races like a traditional mile and a half oval, um, just uh, definitely a low tire wear oval. So you know passing becomes a little bit harder, and track position becomes even more of a premium than at uh, maybe higher tire wear large ovals, as long as you're managing your tires at those high tire wear ovals. All right, as we have progressed uh, into the season, now we finally have the opportunity for uh, 
uh, I'm trying to think of the right word. Like continuity isn't the right word, but like for repetition of seeing things that are similar to what we've seen before. Uh, so this is the first time uh, this year that we will have a similar set of rules uh, and tire wear uh, to what we've seen at a large oval. So uh, Texas will have both the Aerodux and lower tire lower tire wear, uh, just like we saw at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. You tweeted out after the race at Auto Club Speedway that 2019 large ovals have been very predictive of each other. Uh, so I assume that we're going to be relying on uh, the race at Las Vegas, but uh, also uh, are you going to take into account the races at Atlanta and Auto Club? Uh, absolutely, I'll be taking into consideration Atlanta and Auto Club. So certainly I think uh, Las Vegas will be the the number one comparison to Texas, um, obviously just because everything's the same, right? Atlanta, we did not have the aeroducts, and it was high tire wear. Auto Club, at least we did have the aeroducts, but it was high tire wear, and it was a two-mile track instead of a mile and a half. So um, those two definitely not as similar as Las Vegas to Texas, but uh, certainly want to take those into consideration as well because – when we looked at Auto Club, the green flag average speed of, of Las Vegas and Atlanta was very predictive of the race at Auto Club. Basically, the only drivers in the top you know, 12 or so uh, of the green flag average speeds that didn't finish way up there in the top 12 were those that I call got Stenhoused, right? Ricky Stenhouse right. spun and uh, collected Eric Jones, collected uh, – couple other drivers you know himself Stenhouse himself was in the top 12 going into that race so um, the only drivers that really didn't finish super well were the ones who got involved in in Stenhouse's wreck there uh, so everything else I mean almost went according to plan it was like the top five were all in the top six the top eight were all in the tops you know top seven were in all in the top eight or something like that I mean it was super predictive so I think uh, we've seen definitely seen a trend through three large ovals so I will definitely be using Atlanta and Auto Club but Certainly Las Vegas is the number one comp to Texas this weekend. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. With what we've seen at previous large ovals, uh, how are you going to go about modeling the race for Texas? So to <coughs> excuse me there, uh, to get kind of an appropriate weighting of these tracks, right? I want I want Las Vegas to weigh more heavily into this model than I want Atlanta and Auto Clips. What I'm going to do is I think I'm going to run three models. I'm going to run a model for uh, all of all of these tracks, so Auto Club, Atlanta, Las Vegas, and then all the Texas races. Then I'm going to rate uh, all the Texas races since the reconfiguration, right? So that would be seven races total, the four past Texas races, Las Vegas, Atlanta, and Auto Club. Then I'm going to run a model with the four Texas races plus Las Vegas, uh, and then I'll probably run a model with just the 2019 races. So that gives, um, you know, Texas a kind of a two thirds weighting because it's in two of those three models. It gives Las Vegas, uh, kind of a three of three weighting, but it's only appeared one, whereas Texas has appeared four times in those models. So it's still not going to be as heavily weighted as Texas. Uh, and then it gives Atlanta and auto club, uh, a little bit of weighting as well. So, 
Um, it's mostly waiting Texas in the past. It's still waiting Las Vegas and 2019 plenty, but uh, it, it's waiting Las Vegas a little more than Atlanta and Auto Club. So I think that's how I'm going to do this. I'm going to create three models and then average those models uh, as the, the final official model. What do you think will be the predictability of the model for Texas? So just looking at each of the individual models, they're all over uh, 0.6 in R squared. Um, and just the way that races have gone this year, uh, as, as we mentioned, Atlanta it was well over predictability. Las Vegas was well over predictability. And Auto Club actually ended up being quite predictive as well. Um, it was around 0.66. And if you remove Eric Jones's problem, it was around 0.7 something. So uh, much higher than a traditional Auto Club race. So I expect the actual predictability of this race to be quite high, probably in the 0.65 to 0.75 range when all is said and done. Now, of course, um, just using the model out of sample predictive, uh, you know, nature of this, uh, we're getting around low 0.6 for, for Texas and then uh, Las Vegas. And now we're getting a little bit higher when you start to include more of the uh, Atlanta and Auto Club as well, just because those were higher predictability races as well, especially Atlanta was super high predictable. So, um, yeah, I expect this race to be pretty high in predictability. I would say at least 0.65 is what I would I would guess for, for the race this year. What is the major incident rate at Texas? Uh, well, since the reconfiguration, we've had four races. So Texas, they race twice a year. Uh, the major incident rate has been just over 17%, 17.2%. So, um, you know, if you uh, let's let's say that's like 16.6, which is about, um, you know, one out of every six drivers. Then if you've got 36 drivers, you're expecting about six drivers on average to have a major incident. So historically, for a 36 driver race, we've had about six major incidents for for drivers. And has the major incident rate at the 2019 large ovals changed from previous years or I guess framed differently? Uh, have we uh, begun to see a trend of either increasing or decreasing number of cautions under the new aerodynamic package? So this is this is cool because I know you and I have talked a lot about like how are we going to start to figure out 2019? When do we start seeing trends and things like that? And what we've talked about in the past couple of races is like comparing that track to past races at that track. So we can do that for Atlanta. We can do that for Las Vegas and we can do that for Auto Club. And when we look at those, every single one of those, uh, every single one of those races, I'm trying to pull up my my other computer here, and I'm banging things around. But uh, every single one of those races has had a far, far, far lower incident rate. So the incident rate at Atlanta was reduced by 45%, so a relative number, 13.5% versus 24.5% in the past, right? So that's an absolute number of 11%. But if you take 13 and a half. Divide by 24 and a half, uh, and you take one minus that number, that's a 45% reduction in the incident rate. Similar to Auto Club, we went from 9.6 to 5.3, so absolute, that's 4.3. But because Auto Club has traditionally had a lower incident rate anyway, if we normalize it to the past incident rate, also a 45% reduction in incident rate. At Las Vegas, it was a 65% reduction in, in incident rate. So 45, 45, and 65% reductions in incident rate. That averages out to 52% reduction in incident rate this year. So if we if we apply that to Texas's 17.2% incident rate and say that gets reduced by about 52%, we're looking at like 8.9% incident rate for Texas maybe on average. That would be 
of course, if Texas follows similar trends to Atlanta Auto Club and Las Vegas. And maybe if it's most similar to the most similarly to Las Vegas, where Las Vegas saw a 65 percent, 66 percent reduction in incident rate, maybe it's even more than a 52 percent reduction for Texas. So we're talking definitely I would expect less than a nine percent major incident rate. But of course, all it does is take one caution in, in the middle of the field to, to really enhance that. So I'd expect most Texas incident rates to be pretty low this weekend with uh, a tail kind of skewed towards the high side. So, um, you know, you could get some 10, 15, 20% incident rates just if there happens to be a crash on a restart, that kind of thing. But I'd expect the bulk of that distribution to be well under uh, 9% or especially under 10%, but definitely under 9% as well. And why is it exactly just in terms of like what's happening aerodynamically that has caused fewer cautions? So I, I think it's just the fact that there's a these drivers are so much better than in the past. Um, you know, they, they train so much harder. Uh, they can use the simulators so much more. They're, they're much more fit. Uh, B, the cars are more reliable. Um, so just, you know, reliability happens as time goes on. You find ways to make things more reliable. But C, the higher downforce uh, is making these cars stick to the, you know, stick to the track a whole lot more through the corner. And where most of these incidents happen are when you lose the car in the corner. Well, if you're able to stick to the track in the corner a lot easier, uh, it's going to definitely make your spin outs a lot less. Uh, the amount of times you're trying to catch the car and save it a lot less. So, um, you know, I think that's certainly why we've seen fewer cautions under this aero package is just the fact that uh, the higher downforce, but but also just the advancements in, in technology, both with the car and with the drivers themselves. Uh, so all of those in com combination are probably just all, all together, certainly in uh, decreasing the incident rate, which decreases the number of cautions, which decreases the amount of randomness. Let's talk about um, some drivers in particular. And since Las Vegas is the race that is most similar to uh, the one we're probably going to see at Texas, can you give a rundown of driver performance from that race? Yeah, so if we look back at, at Las Vegas, there were kind of two minor dominators, uh, or you know, two major dominators, I guess, um, although they were kind of minor in the number of laps they led. So it was Kevin Harvick led 88 laps, and Joey Logano led 86 laps, um, which both is under 33%, but at least, you know, that's still 20-plus dominator points, and then you get some fastest laps, et cetera. Uh, after that, though, the dominator points were pretty spread out. Kurt Busch, William Byron, Brad Keselowski all led over 5% of the race. Kyle Busch and Daniel Suarez each led over 4% of the race. So, um you know, it was a little bit spread out, and we'd kind of seen that trend at the large ovals. But then, of course, Auto Club this past weekend, or two weekends ago, I should say, Kyle Busch just led most of that race. But uh, Kevin Harvick and Joe Logano were the dominators there. Joey Logano ended up winning the race. Um, he came on strong later. Harvick faded a little bit at the end, faded towards fourth place. But uh, if we look at the average green flag speed of the whole race, Kevin Harvick was number one in average green flag speed at Las Vegas, Joey Logano, number two. Uh, then, and so Harvick finished fourth, Logano finished first. Number three in green flag speed was Kyle Busch. He also finished third. And then there was a bit of a, between those three, there was a bit of a jump down to fourth place with Brad Keselowski. He was actually about four tenths of a mile an hour slower than Kyle Busch in third. Uh, so Brad Keselowski fourth, but finished second. So all those top four drivers were top four, not only in green flag speed, but also in finishing the race, just shifting the order a little bit. Uh, and running down the top 10, Martin Truex Jr., 5th, Benny Hamlin, 6th, Stenhouse, 7th, Kurt Busch, 8th, Eric Almirola, 9th, and Chase Elliott, 10th. And this is in green flag speed. 
all of those drivers also finished inside the top 10. Okay, so uh, I'm assuming, I mean, Harvick, he owns Texas. Like, I'm assuming we're going to be, uh, granted some of this was before the reconfiguration, but I'm assuming we're going to be pretty heavy on Harvick this weekend, right? Yeah, I mean, just looking at Texas history, uh, Harvick, uh, since the reconfiguration, so four races, Harvick's average finish over four races is 2.0, and that comes from two wins, a second place and a fourth place. So uh, pretty dominant by Kevin Harvick. And even one of the races, you know, uh, that he didn't win, he had a lot of dominator points. So um, Harvick, absolutely number one at Texas since the reconfiguration. It's not really close. Um, Second place, if you remove DNFs in driver rating, is Martin Truex Jr., uh, which is 16 driver rating points lower than Kevin Harvick. And 4.3 4.3 average finish worse than Kevin Harvick. So Trick 6.3 versus Harvick 2.0. And you look at dominator points, Harvick 28.3% of laps led. Trix and Blaney have about half the amount of, of laps led that Harvick has since the reconfig. Uh, same with fastest laps. I mean, Harvick owns this place since the reconfiguration. So you add that with Harvick being number one at Las Vegas, which is the most comparable track that we're using this weekend uh, in green flag speed. I think this is Harvick's uh, should be the favorite, but when lines opened this weekend, Kevin Harvick came in at Westgate at plus 700. I was uh, snapping that up right away. So um, I have Kevin Harvick at plus 700 to win thanks to the opening line at, at, at Westgate. But that's, I mean, that's crazy to me. I think he should be the favorite this weekend and he's not listed at the favorite as the favorite uh, probably anywhere, anywhere you go, whether it's online or, uh, Vegas or anything like that. Uh, he doesn't seem to be the favorite right now. Kyle Busch seems to be the favorite. Sorry, I had to write myself a note to, uh, remember to bet some things. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, I was, I wasn't able to find him, uh, at plus 700. I did find him at at plus 600, uh, which I still think is, is offering some value. Definitely. I think he's settled at plus five in, in Vegas, but uh, plus six is totally fine. Uh, so you're, you're thinking he should be uh, the favorite heading into the weekend. Uh, are there any other drivers who have caught your eye for more of like a Vegas perspective? Um, yeah. I mean, I think uh, Martin Truex Jr. at uh, plus, you know, a thousand. So 10 to one, um, I got him there at MGM. So those are my only two to win bets right now. If you can, I mean, think about it. The big three of Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick, and Martin Truex Jr. I got two of those at plus 10 and plus seven. Uh, I'm, I'm loving my chances so far this weekend. Um, and Truex is still plus 10 at MGM. So if you're in town for, you know, for March Madness or anything like that, uh, you can get Truex there at plus 10 at MGM or any of the MGM properties. Uh, I definitely don't find them that high offshore or online anywhere, but uh, I certainly like that. Um, other than that, you know, I'm, I've definitely been looking a lot at early week head to head props. I mean, you look at Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick, um, Kevin Harvick was like plus 120 or plus 130, depending on where you went versus Kyle Busch. And I wrote this up at the Action Network um, that, you know, even though Kyle Busch is probably the favorite just based off of what he's done this year uh, and, and, and more recently. And then also the fact that he won this Texas race in last year so not the second texas race but the first texas race last year which this is the first texas race this year so he's the defending race winner is what we call that 
Uh, I still think Kevin Harvick probably is at worst a toss up with Kyle Busch. So if you're getting plus 120, plus 130, I still think that's value with Kevin Harvick there. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from 19.99, polos from 16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from 19.99, polos from 16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Yeah, I agree. Uh, as you were talking, I literally bet that. If you could hear me clicking around, that's that's <laughs> what I was doing. I, I was taking Harvick. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, over over Bush, I found it a, a plus 120. Um, yeah, there. One thing that is interesting is that as we're recording this, uh, I haven't always seen this at um, a lot of books, but I'm seeing it a little bit more where uh, before uh, practice or before qualifying, books will post um, head to heads, which uh, I think there's probably some value to uh, to grabbing those. But I'd kind of like to hear your thoughts on how to approach. Um, any of the, the head to heads or, or even like betting to win, um, before we get, uh, any data for practice or qualifying. Yeah. So I think the main thing is, um, you don't want to be too aggressive early in the week because most of the important data happens on the weekend, but there absolutely are mismatch values. And, um, what you want to do is you want to find top drivers, especially if you can find top drivers like Harvick and Truex, but even guys like Blaney or Larson or sometimes Boyer or Almirola will be just completely mispriced uh, for how they perform. So what I like to do is, I mean, obviously if there's a top three or four driver, you know, of the especially the big three, that's just completely mispriced. You snap that up right away because I don't know. Remember the last time I've ever seen Harvick at plus 700 as an opener at a mile and a half. Um, right. But uh you know, you snap those up right away uh, or, or somebody like you can occasionally find Blaney at like 25 to one and tracks he shouldn't be 25 to one at. Now, I was really hoping Blaney would open like 20 to one here at Texas because just like uh, Harvick, Blaney is just so darn good since the reconfiguration here. Um, Blaney has an average finish of 6.2, a driver rating of 112, which is third behind Harvick and Truex. Uh, and again, he even one of the races he didn't win, uh, he led just a ton of laps. And overall, he's you know the third most laps led and the fourth most fastest laps behind the big three, Harvick, Truex, and Kyle Busch. So, uh, and then there's a big gap down to fourth, which is Brad, or sorry, fifth, which is Brad Keselowski. So I was really hoping Blaney would open like 12, even 12, I would have been happier or something like that. But I was hoping more like 16, 18, 20, 25 in some places um, that just uh, didn't have a good grasp of it. But I like... So my betting strategy is try to find top drivers that are that are wrong for to win. Um, I don't generally bet like super long shots until kind of I've seen some of the on track activity because I just don't think there's any point in it because, uh, A, they're super long shots. And B, I want to at least make sure they're looking good that weekend before I do it. So I'll bet favorites or near favorites as long as their price is good. And then I think there is some head to head value. You just have to be really selective on your head to heads um, as well. Uh, and what I like to do is just find drivers that I think have been overvalued or undervalued by the industry and kind of just bet them. So somebody who's been a little overvalued has been Matt DiBenedetto. Uh, I think they recognize that upgrade in equipment. Everybody watched that Daytona race, which is completely not predictive over the rest of the season. Uh, and Matt DiBenedetto has been a little overvalued. So I like betting against him a lot. Um, 
I like betting uh, against Daniel Suarez a lot. Uh, not always, but sometimes. Um, just depends on the track and, and the situation. But uh, Daniel Suarez, you know, he made that move from Joe Gibbs to Stuart Haas, and that's pretty much a lateral move in terms of equipment. Uh, but, you know, he's sometimes he's priced like he's in, in top-tier equipment, which he is, but like he's a top-tier driver. I wouldn't say top-tier, but, you know, of that next tier, he's like at the top of that tier. Uh, but, you know, I took Ricky Stenhouse minus 110 versus Daniel Suarez this weekend because uh, if you just look at Las Vegas, if you look at Texas history, Stenhouse just crushes Suarez in both of those metrics. So, um, you know, the fact that they're both minus 110 or, or minus 115 if you find it online – um, you know, the fact that they're basically placed as equal to each other when all of the data says Stenhouse is, is better than uh, Suarez at this track and not only in the past, but also in this year, the most similar track, um, you know, I can be pretty choosy there. So I like to find drivers I think are overvalued or undervalued by the industry and uh, try to target those early in the week for head to heads. While we are uh, going uh, off of the outline, I'm just going to ask uh, one follow up question. Um Martin Truex Jr., and correct me where I'm wrong, but, like, I believe in 2017, and I think that was the, the year he won the, the championship. Mm -hmm. uh, again, correct me wherever I'm wrong on this, but, like, wasn't he just an absolute dominator at mile-and-a-half ovals? And then maybe he wasn't quite as much last year, but, like, is where is he in the ranking in mile-and-a-half ovals? Is he still a guy who, in any given race, has a, a big chance to win? Yeah, so looking at 2017, I just uh, the great thing about the NASCAR Splits app, by the way. I mean, if you guys aren't using the Splits app, you're you're doing it wrong. But I literally, as you were talking, I popped in Large Ovals 2017 and just set the slider to max so that we can look at all the Large Ovals in 2017. Truex had a 130.8 driver rating. Next closest was Larson at 115.3. Truex led over a third of the laps at Large Ovals that year in 2017. If we flip the slider over to 2018. Uh, Truex was third of the big three, but, um, you know, it was Harvick one and then Kyle Busch and Truex were like neck and neck at number, at number two, neck and neck and driver rating, neck and neck and laps lead percent, neck and neck and fast lap percent. So Bush and Truex are basically the same last year. If we slide it over to this year, uh, and, and just look at the large ovals, Truex is right up there in driver rating, um, which of course is hurt by the fact that he got caught up in that incident, that, uh, Stenhouse incident at auto club speedway. Um, but he still ended up pulling off a, a pretty decent finish at Auto Club Speedway, if I remember correctly. Um, Truex, yeah, he still ended up finishing eighth despite getting a significant amount of damage and not running as quickly at Auto Club. So, I mean, Truex has been right up there again at the large ovals this year. So uh, I still think you have to consider him big three at the large ovals, and he's not priced as big three uh, going into the weekend. Uh, great question by me. Uh, great insight to ask that question. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> what other drivers uh, do you think are underpriced relative to the set of races you were looking at? Uh, so definitely Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Um, we talked about him kind of in that bet versus Daniel Suarez, but let's actually talk about his numbers. So Ricky Stenhouse Jr., 86.3 driver rating at Texas if you remove his one DNF. Um but uh, even with that DNF, his driver rating is 81.8. Average finish 12.3 in the non-DNF races. Um, and, and, you know, you compare him to Daniel Suarez. Suarez also has a DNF, but Suarez way down there at a, uh, you know, a 70.3 driver rating and average finish at 20.3. It's really not close between those two. And then also looking at Las Vegas this year, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. finished sixth, had the seventh fastest green flag average speed. 
Uh, so he really fits this track well. Another driver that I think um, in the same price range as Stenhouse, uh, but not quite as good as Stenhouse, but I still think he's probably underpriced relative to where he could be is Alex Bowman, uh, 13th in green flag speed at Las Vegas. And again, removing DNFs, he's actually ahead of Stenhouse in Texas history there, uh, coming in 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11th best driver rating at Texas since the reconfiguration when you remove DNFs. Uh, average finish of 14. And Alex Bowman this weekend is not priced that high. Um, he's priced down, I think it has the 17th highest priced driver or something like that. So uh, Alex Bowman, 19th highest priced driver. So, you know, you get a guy who's looking 11th, 13th in that neighborhood in the stats for this track and for the comparable track. He's priced 19th. I, I definitely think that's another driver that is underpriced. And then finally, one other super cheap driver that is catching my eye this weekend. And I'm not saying he's a super fantastic play, but if you want to dig down in the Joe cheap range, Bubba Wallace, uh, he is priced at $5,500, 30th best. Uh, what did he do at Texas? Well, at Texas, he has an average finish of 16.5, a driver rating of 69.2. That's better than Austin Dillon, Paul Menard, uh, Ryan Newman, you know, so right next to Daniel Suarez in terms of driver rating and a better average finish. So he's performed very well at Texas. And then we go look at his average green flag speed at Las Vegas. Not as impressive, 25th, but considering he's priced 30th, I think Bubba Wallace is a really, really good, uh, super cheap value play because, you know, in some of your lineups, you'll probably want to dig down that uh, sub 6K range. And uh, any drivers who you think are overpriced? Uh, Clint Boyer is the number one driver that jumps out to me here in terms of overpriced 14th at Las Vegas and Las Vegas wasn't the race that he had his uh, issues with with maybe losing a cylinder or something like that. Uh, That was Auto Club, but 14th at Las Vegas in average green flag speed. Then we look at his Texas history since the repave uh, reconfiguration. Not so good. 76.9 driver rating when you're talking, you know, Harvick at 133 and a half. He's got. Not quite half the driver rating of Harvick, but it's not good. Average finish, 20.5, and this is removing DNFs. Um, So Clint Boyer has definitely struggled here. So he's certainly my number one driver in terms of drivers that I'd be looking to avoid. If we want to go down into the cheaper tier, uh, Ryan Newman has struggled at Texas. He only has the 24th best driver rating. He's down there in the Michael McDowell, Ty Dillon, Paul Menard range. Uh, but he's priced actually 20th. So, you know, I mean, that's the 24th best driver rating at Texas. And then we go to Las Vegas green flag speed 23rd. Um, you know, it's tougher to find super big differences when drivers are in the bottom half of the field. But uh, Ryan Newman is about as significant as a difference as you'll find among the lower half of the field here. So Ryan Newman definitely overpriced this weekend. So we got a more expensive guy in there in uh, Clint Boyer. We've got uh, a bit of a, a cheaper guy there in Ryan Newman. But overall, I think the pricing this weekend for DraftKings, pretty solid. I, I think there's some other, you know, maybe slight values or slight overprices, but these are really the big ones that jump out at me. And uh, finally, any Joder cheap drivers uh, that are in consideration? Yeah, I mean, outside of uh, outside of Bubba Wallace here, I think, um, you know, if we just kind of flip through, Ty Dillon um, kind of stands out at uh, – you know, the 22nd best driver rating, uh, 60.7, average finish of 19. Uh, looking at Ty Dillon's price this weekend, he's priced at 27th. So not as as big of a glaring, um, you know, change as Bubba Wallace, but $5,800, still a nice price tag. If we want to go really, really cheap uh, here, um, it gets pretty tough. But uh, 
you know, I think uh, David Reagan, 46.6 driver rating, and then maybe Ross Chastain are the guys you're going to be looking at. But even then, David Reagan is priced at 6K. So it really comes down to uh, Ross Chastain. Of course, uh, Chastain priced 29th at 5,600 is actually more expensive than Bubba Wallace. So, um, you know, I just don't love the Joe Dirt. I didn't mention anybody under $5,500. Um, it's, it's just kind of ugly back there. So uh, I'm probably... And Texas is one of those tracks where speed will be a factor. It's not quite auto club where we get a lot of separation of speed, um, but we will still get, get some separation of speed here. You'll still see those super Joe Dirts being super Joe Dirts, and I'm just not really going to play them, especially because you know Kyle Busch, most expensive is only 12-2. He was 13000 last weekend, which I'm glad DraftKings pushed that price tag up for the 500-lap race, but this is still a 334-lap race or something like that. So, um, you know, I don't think we need to, dive down into the Joe Dirt cheaps unless you really want to jam in a bunch of expensive guys. So, you know, I'd be looking maybe Bubba Wallace, Ty Dillon, David Reagan, Michael McDowell, Ross Chastain, um, and all of those are right next to each other from 6,000 6, sorry, from 6, to 5,500. And then you could probably sprinkle in a Joe Dirt, but that's really going to depend on where they qualify and, and how they're practicing. All right. Uh, what is the schedule for content for this weekend? traditional weekend so uh after on track activity is done i will try to get the models and apps updated um and post a quick uh article to rotaviz with basically again that's just the the model results uh for for those of you that want the finishing position results <clears throat> matt and uh then yeah exactly then I got the uh, Action Network article in the evening, so it usually comes out late in the evening or overnight for Sunday morning, uh, and we'll do a, a Rotoviz Live uh, show on my Twitch page that morning, Sunday morning as well. Uh, so yeah, just uh, be on the lookout for exact times and things. Um, those are always things that are kind of in flux throughout the weekend, but uh, pretty much a normal content schedule this weekend. All right, that is going to do it for this NASCAR edition of On the Daily. Uh, for Nick Giffen, on Twitter at Rotodoc, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt F. The Oracle. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to On the Daily, the Rotoviz Daily fantasy sports podcast powered by Rotoviz Radio. And special thanks to Randy E. Aguabo for the introduction. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the established Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email on the daily DFS at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at on the daily DFS. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. They call you the Grill Master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, like the 2019 C-Class Sedan and GLC SUV, the perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, now serving limited-time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. 
relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.